Psalm 145, the word of God, where it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of your glory, of your kingdom, and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Reflections on the Psalms and he has a chapter entitled Praise and in that he writes this. He says, The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favourite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favourite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, different world, (laughs) rare beetles, even more different, even sometimes politicians or scholars. C.S. Lewis is right, I think. The world rings with praise, doesn't it? The world is full of praise. People praise things every day. And yet I suspect that even though our world is filled with praise, I reckon that as we look at Psalm 145, it still seems a bit odd to us. It seems a little bit forced, a little bit disconnected from our reality. The world is full of praise, yes, but we find it so difficult to praise God. 
In Psalm 145, David gives us a model and he urges us to live a life of praise. The first thing that David models for us in uh, this psalm is his commitment to praising God. So if you uh, look at verse 1 and 2, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Uh, Around this time of year, people make all kinds of commitments uh, about what they're going to do next year. You know, New Year's resolutions and whatever it is. And people also setting the agenda for what they're going to do next year. You might be planning next year to spend more time with your family. Uh, You might be planning to eat less chocolate or more chocolate, as the case may be. But David makes a different kind of commitment. David commits to praising God. He consciously and purposefully commits himself to the praise of God. The reason is because if we don't consciously and purposefully commit to praising God, it doesn't happen. And we don't just need to commit to praising God once a year, a New Year's resolution, this year I'm going to praise God. We need to commit to praising God every single day. It's a commitment we need to consciously and decisively make every day. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Incredibles. Uh, it's a kid's movie, so uh, you might, might not have seen it. But uh, it's a great film, and in it there's this wonderful scene. It's very perceptive, actually, about uh, a number of things in our, in our culture. But there's a, a scene in it where Mrs Incredible is driving her son home from school, and she says to him, by way of consolation, Dash, everybody's special. And he intelligently replies... That's just another way of saying that nobody is. And I wonder if, in our rush to say that all of life is worship, we've ended up in a situation where actually none of life is. What I mean to say is, we're not good at worship. We're good at doing stuff, but we're not good at worshipping and praising God. A little while ago, uh, at a men's dinner, uh, I kind of asked the question, just put the question out there, whether one of the reasons for our fatigue, for the constant fatigue that a lot of people feel, if the reason for that might be not simply not enough rest, but actually not enough worship. When God rested on the seventh day, he looked back on what he'd created and he celebrated it and he delighted in it. And part of the purpose uh, of resting from what we do is to celebrate what God has enabled us to achieve and to celebrate what God has achieved in us and in his world. I don't mean to say that we need more church services or longer church services or more songs or better songs, so it's worth asking the question whether those things will help. What we really need to do, though, is to learn the art of praising God and celebrating God in every area of our lives. And what we do on mornings like these are a training ground for worship in the rest of our lives. If we can't worship God here, if we can't get excited about God and celebrate God here, then it's never going to happen in the rest of our lives either. It's like footy training, but for worship. 
We come on Sunday tired out by a week of work and toil and disappointment sometimes and pain and we hear the gospel and we sing the gospel and we pray the gospel and we cry out to God and we celebrate God and we leave hopefully with the same commitment that David had. I will praise you, O God the King. David commits to praising God and he spurs us on to praising God and to commit ourselves every day to praising God. Well, what kind of praise does he have in mind? Or what are the different ways that we can exalt God? Well, there are 13 different words, I I counted them, uh, 13 different words used in this psalm and used 18 times to describe different ways of praising God. Uh, There's exalt. Uh, bless, praise, praise, extol, uh, commend, tell, speak, meditate, tell, proclaim, celebrate, joyfully sing, and on and on it goes. David praises God first of all by speaking about him. In the first verse, I will exalt you, my God, the King. To exalt uh, means literally to lift up, to lift high. Uh, That is, it's a way of talking about God in such a way that he's elevated in our own minds and also in the minds of others. So we use the expression to talk someone up. You know, so you might might talk up your own footy skills uh, and then people go, oh, you know, you're talking yourself up a bit, aren't you? For us to talk someone up uh, usually means to say more than they really are. But it's impossible for us to talk God up to be more than he really is. He's that good. (laughs) You know, no matter what kind of praise we might come up, effusive praise, you know, abundant praise, it's always right, it's always fitting. God is that good, he's that great. C.S. Lewis, in that same uh, book that I mentioned before, he mentions how when he first became a Christian, he, was, he thought it was a bit awkward that God was always saying, praise me, praise me. Uh, because if we said that, if we were around saying, praise, praise me, uh, people would think, well, that's a bit awkward, that's a bit odd. Uh, but Lewis rightfully points out that some things demand praise. Great art demands recognition. We've missed out if we fail to see and to celebrate uh, the beauty of great artwork or great architecture. Great music demands recognition. When you go to uh, listen to Handel's Messiah, uh, which is always on at this time of year, everybody still stands in the Alleluia Chorus. Everybody still recognises it's a great piece of music which stirs the soul. A great sunset needs to be remarked upon. How much more then does God, who stands behind all that greatness, demand to be recognised? The end of verse 4, They will tell of your mighty acts, says David. They will speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty. We speak it, we announce it, we recount it. That is, we recount the things that God has done in history. Not least, of course, 
in sending Jesus to die for our sins. I love verse 7. Uh, David writes, they will celebrate your abundant goodness. Literally celebrate. The word celebrate there is gush or bubble or pour out. It's, it's a great picture, isn't it, of someone so full of praise that it's like water pouring out of their mouth. That, that's maybe a little bit gross, but it's, but it's like a stream bubbling, spewing out praise, overflowing uh, Lewis writes, says Lewis writes, how instinctively we invite other people to praise what we enjoy. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? He goes on to say, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's interesting, isn't it? The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Praise is to be shared for its enjoyment. When we enjoy God like David enjoyed God, we tell other people about God. Because doing that deepens our own enjoyment of God himself. So David praises God in words. He also praises God through song and wants people to praise God through song. So verse 7, they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Uh, or verse 2, I will praise you and extol you, uh, extol your name forever. Uh, to extol is to cry aloud or to sing. It's uh, the, word, the, the word there is hallel which is where you get the word hallelujah. Come on, let's praise God together. Let's, let's exalt God together. It's tempting, I think, for us to think that we're not a, uh, a singing culture anymore, uh, but I don't think that's true. We sing all the time, actually, if you think about it. Uh, we're just singing different songs. Never before in human history have people been surrounded by so much music. So you get in the car and there's music, you, uh, you know, you walk along the street and other people have iPods in, you wave to them, it's like, oh, it's awkward. <laughs> They're not paying attention. Uh, music is everywhere. And one of the dangers of that is that it drowns out songs about God. So it's hard to sing songs about God when you've got dire straits, you know, blaring on the radio in the car. Um, or for Gwyn, One Direction, uh, blaring the car. It's not even here. Oh, bother. Anyway. But it's, it, it's hard, isn't it? The serious point is it's hard to sing when those things are being fed into us. 
We shouldn't think that singing praise ends with singing four or five songs on a Sunday morning. You know, that we come along and go, okay, I've, I've sung my praise for the week. It is done and done. If we're going to take David's example of committing to praise, then that means committing to praise all the time and not just speaking words all the time, but also singing songs of praise to God all the time. Singing kind of, it lifts our spirits. It, it, it actually helps the words and the thoughts sometimes penetrate more deeply than words that are unsung. Every day should include not only speaking praise, but singing praise as well. And I think we can use what can be a hindrance to us to our advantage. So if you enjoy singing along to stuff in the car, then you can find great uh, Christian songs that you can sing along to in the car. Bust it out at the, at the lights. Just go for it. Do it. It's great to do. Don't, uh, don't misunderstand or mishear what I'm saying and think uh, that the point is that you should, all you should do is listen to Christian music um, I'm not saying that, uh, that, you know, dire straits is the den of iniquity. Certainly I'm not saying that. Uh, or that Mozart's The Magic Flute is uh, kind of the epitome of evil. The point is that given that it's good to praise God in song and given that we like to sing along to stuff, why not take advantage of that and take the opportunity to sing along sometimes with great gospel songs. It's a very simple idea. And there's lots of variety. Uh, not everybody likes Sons of Korah, but one of the good things about Sons of Korah music is that you can sing along, you can sing a psalm, you can sing along with them singing psalms straight out of the Bible. They just take the words of the Bible and put music to it. And you can bust it out with them. Uh, if you want to sing church songs, Emu Music, they uh, sell albums of live and studio recordings and uh, they're great to, to sing along to. They're all the songs, the kinds of songs that we sing here. A few years ago, everyone was singing along to Revival in Belfast. I don't know if anyone uh, knows that album, uh, but that was quite popular. Uh, and if you like something a bit more alternative, you could check out uh, Sojourn Music's reworking of Isaac Watts' hymns. There's a great one, Let the Seventh Angel... Uh, with a bit of Hammond organ going on there. Uh, it's, it's really awesome. I love it. But uh, you can't, uh, cannot go past the Hammond organ. But uh, it's a song about the last... It's a song about the seventh angel in the book of Revelation sounding the trumpet on the day of judgment. Crumbs. When do you ever sing about stuff like that? But what a song to sing and to, and to soak in and to marvel at the wonder and the majesty of God. One of my all-time favourites uh, is Maddie Pryor and the carnival bands Sing Lustily and with Good Courage. Uh, and they play the hymns of Wesley and, uh, and his friends in the original style. And there's lutes and drums and tabors and side drums and uh, all kinds of things, violins and rolling snare stuff going on. Uh, it's great. Uh, and it's, it's a great way of singing some of those, uh, those old songs. And doing that in order to praise God. You might like classical music, put on Messiah and sing along with that. 
One danger of uh, constant music is that it drowns out songs of praise to God. Why not use that to our advantage? But another danger, I think, of being surrounded by music is that it unknowingly shapes the kinds of songs that we sing. So when we sing, what do we sing about? Well, invariably and quite boringly, we always end up singing about love. All the songs these days are love songs. It's so boring. I'm sorry. Uh, You know, it's okay to sing love songs every now and again. But, uh, crumbs, it's just all anyone sings about these days. Gone are the days when there was thoughtful protest music. You know, like Midnight Oil's Blue Sky Mine about asbestos mining. Uh, Or Billy Bragg's Great Leap Forward. Uh, You know, kind of socialist... Marxist anthem. Not that that's a great thing. Uh, or, or U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday about the massacre uh, in Ireland all those years ago. But even music which thoughtfully engages with culture and the issues of our time doesn't have a patch on songs about God. Because God is the God who stands behind love. And God is the God who opposes injustice. And God is the God who answers the cries of our protests. This world is not right. How much better to sing, not in protest to people, why won't the government do anything about this? But in protest and adoration to God. God, why aren't you acting? The great God who holds the whole world in his hands. We sing all the time. The problem is we just don't sing much about God. So David praises God with words, he praises God with song, and last of all, and perhaps most interesting of all, he praises God in personal contemplation. Verse 5, I will meditate on your wonderful works. We can praise God on our own as we reflect on and celebrate in our own hearts the greatness and the glory of God. So you might open the curtains and see an amazing sunrise or see at night, you might see the moon, the full moon that we've had this this last week. Incredible. And you say to yourself, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Or when you look at your children and delight in God's gift to you, as Gwyn and Rachel and Tim and Brianna have done this morning, and you say, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are a reward from him. Or you've fallen into sin and you've confessed it, and then you realise again the depths of God's forgiveness. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgiveness? Pardons sin and forgives our transgression. David praises God in words, he praises God in song, he praises God in his own thoughts and his own contemplation of God. So Psalm 145 shows us those three kinds of praise, but David also shows us who hears that praise, who hears our praise, or who should hear our praise. First of all, God hears our praise. David says back to God, I'm going to praise you forever and ever. Some of God's, uh, David's words are addressed straight back to God. Your kingdom, O God, is an everlasting kingdom. And of course, only God can hear those, that praise of, 
contemplation and reflection, when we meditate and reflect on God himself, only God is privy to that kind of praise. So first of all, God hears our praise. Who else should hear our praise according to David? Our children, our own children and other people's children. Verse 4, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. A house where God is not praised will be a house where God is not loved. God might be revered and respected and feared and honoured, but God won't be loved and delighted in. A house where the gospel is not delighted in will be a house where the gospel is easily thrown aside. It will be a house where people won't be gripped by the astonishing mercy and the grace of God. God hears our praise. Our children ought to hear our praise. Who else hears our praise? Everyone, says David. Verse 11, they will tell of, your, of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. They will tell, David says, of the glory of God's kingdom. Why is that? Why would they tell of that? So that all men may know, all people might know. Praise then, rightly understood, is not just to God and to each other, but rightly understood, it's evangelistic. John Dixon, in his uh, wonderful book, uh, Promoting the Gospel, uh, or now it's now called The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, he talks about the value of our gathered praise in promoting the gospel. Uh, And he writes, there are all sorts of reasons some of our churches have visitors, location, architecture, demographics and so on. But in my experience, the most significant factor is the quality of the church service. By quality, I don't mean the professionalism of the leader or the standard of technology and music. I mean the degree to which the congregation revels in its experience of praising God and encouraging one another. I would go so far as to say that over time, the number of visitors in our church service is directly proportionate to the level of enthusiasm felt by those who regularly attend. He goes on to talk about a couple uh, called Henry and Sandra who became Christians through visiting a church and uh, how they were attracted by what they saw. Uh, And he writes, The services Henry and Sandra, Sandra were so taken with were not evangelistic events, they were regular services designed for the praise of God and the strengthening of believers. There were Bible readings, songs, prayers, creeds and preaching, all the things that have always been part of church gatherings. Henry and Sandra were eavesdroppers, as it were. And this, I think, is part of the power of services like these. Visitors to church can easily feel threatened if they suspect the whole event is pitched at them. But when they feel the freedom simply to observe what Christians do... Praying to the Lord, giving thanks to him, listening to his word. Visitors are often more at ease, less defensive, and more open to the things they hear. They're more attentive to our praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Who hears our praise? God hears our praise. Our children hear our praise, but also the world hears our praise. Our praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. So we ought to commit ourselves to praising God. We ought to praise God with our words, with our songs, with our reflections, with our meditations. We ought to praise so that God can hear us, 
so children can hear us, so that the world can hear us. But last of all, how can we move from being praiseless people to people of praise? Davis, David gives us uh, a few brief reasons. First of all, uh, why should we praise God? First of all, because God is worthy of it. His greatness no one can fathom. Uh, or better yet, I think, his greatness is unsearchable. That is, as much as you search for the greatness of God, you'll never find an end of it. You can study it all the days of your life and it will always be interesting and new and exciting. It's like the depths of the ocean. You can't plummet the depths of it. It's like the extent of the universe. It knows no bounds. And God's greatness is discovered not only in the Bible but also in his creation. One of the marvels, I think, of creation is that as science develops, people look further and further out into the universe and all they find is more and more. And more and more interesting things. Or they look further and further into the atom and, and to, the, to the small parts of, the, of uh, what makes up our world and they just discover more and more things. It used to be atoms and it was electrons and protons and then quarks and strange quarks and all kinds of other things like that and now it's Higgs bosons and whatever those things are. But uh, it's <laughs> the wonder of God knows no bounds. This is going to sound uh, a bit weird and after last week's uh, comment about pi, it's probably not going to do me any favours, but last, last holidays I read a book on the great mathematical problems uh, of the world, solved and unsolved. Uh, it was an amazing book. Uh, it, was just, it was a wonderful read. But, but what was so interesting about it was that I kept looking up from the book and I just, and just break out into praise. I pray, God, this is amazing. Your mind is incredible. Now, it's a maths book, for goodness sake. To, to, to have that sense of seeing God's mind, thinking God's thoughts after him. The more we learn about the world, whatever it is, whether it's maths or physics or, you know, this is terrible. I watched, <laughs> I wasn't going to admit to this, I watched a fishing program yesterday. <laughs> and the guy caught this amazing blue fish. It was this silvery blue. It was just incredible. And I just thought, what a world. I don't care, I don't care about fishing at all, but... Uh, but one of the great joys in life, one of the great blessings of the church is that everybody's interested in different things, aren't they? So, so often people say, nobody has my interests. How boring if everybody had the same interests as you. One of the great joys of life is actually to speak to people who are interested in different things and find out about the world that God's made. I had a great conversation with someone last week about film. I'm no film buff, but they were excited about film and it was interesting and enlightening and exciting. Don't think poetry is boring. Think poetry uncovers the wonderful gifts that God has given to us of language and human creativity. Why should we praise God? Because he's worthy of it. He's created this amazing world. His depths are unsearchable. 
Why else should we praise God, David says, because of God's righteousness and goodness? Or if you like, because of his justice and his goodness. Uh, David says God's kingdom, the place where God rules and establishes his justice, is, is good. It's the place where right and good takes place. Justice and righteousness might not sound like a reason to praise God, but think about the alternative. Think about a world of injustice and unkindness. Injustice is horrible. It savages community. It sucks people's will to live. It ruins business. No one can trust anyone. No one knows if it's worth investing in things because no one knows what's going to happen. But God says... I am the God of justice and righteousness and all that's good. And so David praises him. God hates injustice. God destroys injustice and establishes righteousness and goodness. Why should we praise God? Because he's worthy of it, because of God's righteousness and goodness. But last of all, because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. How slow is God's anger? Thousands of years slow. Sin has marred our world for thousands of years and God still hasn't grown tired of it. And God is still giving people the opportunity to repent. How rich is God's love? So rich that he sent his own son to die for us. How gracious and compassionate is God? So gracious that he only asks us to love him and to trust him. He doesn't ask us to fix up our own lives, but he fixes up our lives himself. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. God's good not only to his people and not only to all human beings, but to everything that he's made. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. It's this wonderful picture of God. You know, like you might feed an animal, just opening your hand and it eating out of your hand. That's what it's like. That's what God is like with his entire creation. He just opens his hand and they feed from him. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's an amazing picture of God's nearness and fatherly care and his compassion. David said God is especially good. He's good to everything, but he's especially good to those who call on him, to those who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Why should we praise God? Because he saves us. Because he rescues us. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from the brokenness of our world. He saves us from injustice. He saves us from sorrow and mourning and death and pain. He saves us, David says, and he is near to us. David was right to say, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a great and majestic God. You are the king of this whole world 
and you reign supremely over it. Lord, your kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and truth and justice and peace. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom will be established on this world through Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you for the wonder of your universe. From nothing you created all that we see around us in all its immensity, in all its hugeness, in all its vast expanse, planets hurtling through space, stars burning themselves up at fierce heats. From its immensity, Lord, to, to its microscopic intricacy, Lord, your greatness knows no bounds. Lord, you love and care for everything that you have made. You love us and care for us. But you also love the birds and the animals and the insects and the fish in the sea. Lord, you provide for them and care for them. Lord, we think of the massive whales that swim through the oceans down to the tiny ants that frustrate us. But, Lord, they all give us a glimpse of your grandeur and your might and your extraordinary creativity. Lord, and we see that creativity as well in the people that you've made and the artwork that people produce and the films and the books that people write and the poetry that they create, the songs that they sing. Lord, they're just using the tools and the resources that you've made and the gifts that you've given them. Lord, open our eyes to see in them and behind them your glory and your greatness and your majesty and your splendour. And Lord, as we meditate on that and reflect on that, help us again to think of the cross. That your greatness and your glory doesn't extend only to creation, but moves even to the new creation, bought at the price of your own dear son. Lord, help us to be people who praise you with all our hearts. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.